how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. To infinity and beyond. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? It's classified. You talking to me? I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. I can't lie. Expecto Patronum. Entertainment X. You never know what you're going to get. For this episode, I sit down and chat with Steve Rosen. Steve has written The Other Josh Cohen. He's currently working on Dracula, a comedy of musical terrors, and some other fantastic projects. We jump into the creative process behind those and really what drives him, his performance background, his upbringing. It's a very wide-ranging conversation, and we hit a lot of topics. So, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did having it with Steve. Enjoy. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on the phone is Steve Rosen. Steve, thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. I'm on the phone. Hi. Yes, we're in. We're three time zones apart, or four time zones apart. Oh my uh, goodness! It must be so early where you are. It's yeah. It's eight oh eight. A.M. I've just had some breakfast. We're we're up and rolling. I'm in California, and you're in New York. Oh, so this it's is so beautiful in California in the morning. That was like my favorite part about being there. Was like, first of all, with the time difference, I was up at like six o'clock every morning. Yes, I could take advantage of the day, see the beautiful sunrise. Oh gosh, it's gorgeous over here. Although the sun is still setting very early, four thirty. <laughs> very early. Yeah, well, that's, winter. That's blame daylight savings for that, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So let's hop right in here, Steve. Growing up, what were your theater dreams? What was your what were your performing aspirations? Um, that's a great question. Theater has always played like a really important part, not only in like my life but my family's life. It it, it was we were not a sports family per se. Um, my parents uh, grew up in New York City. My mother uh, is from Queens. My dad is from Brooklyn. And a large part of their dating life revolved around them going to uh, see Broadway shows. Uh, first, because, you know, it was very popular back then, uh, as it is now. But it was also, uh, my dad had been in the service. And so part of that was the USO, I think, gave out free tickets to veterans. So my dad figured out, a, like, a cheap way to take girls out on dates. And so they go see Broadway shows, yeah. And uh, so because of that, like we it became like a um a rite of passage every year we would come to new york to visit some relatives for thanksgiving and we'd see a couple like broadway shows and my dreams at the beginning were just like i knew that this going to see a show was a reward in our house um which you know sort of made that uh a holiday in and of itself so i knew that the theater was a very special place uh, it was a special place for us to go. My, like, my personal dreams of working in the theater, I think, like, I, I did my first play when I was about seven. I went to this performing arts summer camp uh, in the Catskills called French Woods that um, you probably have heard of before. A oh, lot yes. of people that are still, still doing it today uh, went there, like uh, Jason Robert Brown and uh, Adam Levine and Evan Cabinet and uh, you know a lot a lot of people that are have gone into the business sort of went there. But I went there for s six weeks when I was seven years old uh, at sleepaway camp, 
And I did my first play there, and I sort of had an affinity for it. I had a big personality. But I didn't really think figure out that I really wanted to, like, do this as a job until I was probably a junior in high school. I went to a summer program at Northwestern called the National High School Institute, which yeah. is uh, the Cherub program. And it was there that I did, you know, I worked with these all these kids who were from all these other schools all around the country, and we were doing theater together, and I wasn't just doing, you know, the, the musicals they did at my high school were, you know, they were... Th- traditional high school musical type shows. And then at this summer program, we were doing, you know, I was doing a Howard quarter play at like 16 where I'm swearing and beating someone to death with a flashlight. And I was like, Oh, there's all kinds of like fun ways to like, not that I was like, Oh, I can be a murderer, but I, I, there is more to this than I thought. Um, And more to learn and more to explore. And I started learning about like uh, that summer I took a class in, you know, real experimental theater and, and theater of the absurd and Ionesco. And um, I really got into the idea of like, oh, I, I would like to just keep doing this kind of stuff. I, I really, I like interpreting these words. I like playing with other people. I like the collaborative nature of it. And so my dream has always just to like work. I've always just wanted to be someone who made a living, who could make their living and pay their bills doing mostly uh what i love to do which is uh writing and acting was this fostered by your parents or was this became very independent of yourself you were taking care of this on your own this was something you were independent on i think it was very you know i don't think i was independent i think i had a ton of support first because my parents you know really appreciated the arts um you know if i had been like if i wanted to get into lacrosse I don't know, they would have been supportive, but I don't know that they would have been as supportive because, you know, um, they don't know anything about lacrosse. But theater, you know, they can, they like going to see it and and, um, and they, you know, at no point did they ever imply, you know, maybe in passing as a joke that I, you know, should have followed in my father's footsteps and been a dentist or something. But um, <laughs> my, my older brother, my older brother was in all the place. And to be perfectly frank, my older brother, Corey, is the talent really the talented actor in the family everything that i have done has been because he sort of did it first um and oh, okay. he he still is like legend he lives in you know california he hosts the moth out there he is like in charge of a bunch of stuff at a visual effects company he teaches improv like he literally he he makes his living doing all the things he loves to do so um yeah so my, my family has always been very supportive of it. How's that for a long end of yeah, And I really love, I mean, I'm loving it. I'm really loving it. What was your, what was your transition into television and film? Because it started as theater. Was tele, television and film just something that came up or was that a very definitive decision? Uh, you mean like to act in it? Or, yeah. Or to, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, yeah. To, well, yeah. I mean, when you're an actor, you don't really get to make those kinds of decisions at the beginning. It's sort of like, I'm going to audition for everything because every opportunity is an opportunity to act. And that's at the end of the day, that's all you're really looking to do is a chance to do what you do. Um, and so like, I think my, actually my first job out of college was in a movie. I got cast in a Todd Salons movie called storytelling. Um, and that like, I had done zero screen work before. Um, and I had done, I had done like a, 
I had gotten my equity card, I think, at that point. But I, it was like the first real job I got in New York was in a movie. And then there was sort of a hiatus. But uh, I, I sort of decided, I guess I, I had done Guys and Dolls on Broadway. And, and right before that, I had, I had booked a couple of pilots. It's just the way that the, the industry worked at that moment where all of a sudden my type was in. And there was, there was lots for me to do. And so after, after Guys and Dolls closed, I moved to L.A. for a couple of years to sort of pursue this, this screen acting thing uh, more full time. And ironically, what wound up happening was I didn't, <laughs> it didn't work very much out there at all. But it is where David Rosper and I, over Skype, wrote the other Josh Cohen. So it's like I had to move to L.A. to work in television to write a musical. That makes any sense. It's kind of funny how how life takes you on a journey. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird. How did that relationship... Um, Sorry. No, go ahead. How has that relationship come up um, to write the other Josh Cohen? Was that a long-term conversation you guys had been having? Or was this... Like, what was the collaboration process for you guys to begin? Uh, That's a great question. David and I have known each other since we were literally since we were children uh, from French Woods, we met at camp, we met doing an improvisation. Um, oh, and man. so we have been, yeah, like, we didn't even like say, hi, I'm Dave. I'm Steve. We literally were like, oh, I'm a cowboy. and You're a cowboy. Like we were <laughs> in, in each other's subconscious before we were like, we, we had met. And uh, so I think really, to be perfectly honest, I think that David and I have been constantly collaborating and working on Josh Cohen since that moment. Um, we, after college we both wound up in new york and we took some improv classes together and just because we wanted to get back into it we liked performing together and uh we met our friend sarah salzberg and then the three of us when we were all in broadway shows started uh this late night improv sketch variety show for charity called don't quit your night job where because we figured, you know, we were all in Broadway shows and the only ways they had for us to like do stuff together as performing arts people was to like compete in athletic competition, like bowling and softball, <laughs> things that we were bad at in the first place. It's right, like, right. so we decided we, we were offered in a very roundabout way. We were offered a chance to do. Uh, Joe's Pub at the Public Theater had just started doing late night programming and they were interested in having us come do something. And so we booked three, uh, the next three months, the last Thursday of June, July and August, we basically booked the theater and we invited friends from every Broadway show in town uh, to come down afterwards and play improv games, do these sketches and stuff. We would write these segments we would create. If you go on YouTube and search, don't quit your night job, you can still find some stuff on there. We've had some crazy people do the show. Um, and it all raised money for Wendy Wasserstein's charity, which is, uh, through TDF, which serves underserved, uh, New York city school kids who might not otherwise get access to, you know, things like Broadway theater. Uh, because it's so expensive. Right. And so David and I wound up writing a lot of sketches for that. And uh, with Dan and with Sarah, but he and I would find ourselves, you know, as frequent writing partners on specific sketches. And it always was a lot of fun. And we had 
bandied around ideas for years and years, constantly making lists of like ideas for TV shows, or uh, we would sit down and hang out and write a song. Our, our hangout sessions, uh, Ross was the kind of guy who is not content just to sit down and watch a movie. Like he likes, and that's why he's a super fun friend because when you hang out with him, it's like, let's play a game. Let's, let's make something, let's write something. And so uh, this was an idea it actually, Josh Cohen came out of us in LA pitching another idea. We were there to pitch a TV show and we started hanging out playing video games and the video game sounded like a Neil Diamond song. Like the, the, the first screen of Mario Kart sounded like a Neil Diamond song. And the place I was staying had a guitar on the wall. So Rossman grabbed the guitar. I went to the keyboard and we started trying to write Neil Diamond songs, just seeing if like we could like write a couple of tunes that sounded like Neil songs and by the end of that night, we had written, instead of preparing for the pitch, we had written like seven songs that are still in the show today, all in that one crazy night. Um, but then, then it came the idea of like, how, wh what is the story for this? And he and I have had a bunch of different stories we'd wanted to incorporate for years. Um, so I, that, that, to answer your question, the songs were all sort of derived and devised in uh, the basis of them all sort of in one night, but the idea for the show and all the stories within it, those we had been working on since we were teenagers. That's incredible. <laughs> it's, that's, I know, but it, like you said, it's just life. It's, it's crazy. And you, don't, you don't appreciate it at the time. And it all feels like a slog, you know? Yeah. yeah. Along the way. What well, was that? What was the goal with writing it? Was it just to create something or was it, we're going to write a Broadway show. Or was it, you know, just, it was giving you life? We were looking, it's a, that's a great question. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think back and David might very well disagree with me because he's not here to answer this question too. So when you ask collectively, what were you thinking? I can tell you what I was thinking. Um, I think that we both wanted to do something. We wanted to write something for ourselves to do because, you know, character actors of a certain age, you know, before you're really become become like a you know a, a judge on law and order sometimes it's hard to find those really good meaty roles and so we wanted to create something we could do together uh that you really didn't need a big set to do we were trying to think practically so we set it in a, an apartment that had been robbed of everything so all we really needed was two stools you could get you could you could pull it off just by being on a stage with two chairs and two people um and I think the idea was let's write something that we could pitch to, for ourselves to star in. And it might be easier to produce that way. And what little did we know that like, we were almost done with the first draft. I mean, we were, we were still sort of figuring out what it was when the people at the, at NIMP reached out to us because they had David, you know, had, had been writing musicals for years and other things for years um, but they reached out to him and said, I, I heard that you might be working on a new smaller type musical. We have of our theaters. We have a smaller one. We think this, you know, it sounds like it might be good for this. Would you mind submitting the script? And so we're like, it's really rough, but okay. And so we sent in our rough draft and they were like, great, you're on, you're in, done, booked. And we're like, fantastic. How much do you give us to put on the show? And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 that's not how this works. Now you have to come up with money to do the show. And um, and we really didn't we didn't have any any money to do the show. 
And so we yeah. sort of figured, okay, we'll pitch it to other people. But then, um, really, in one of these other crazy stories, uh, do you know John Ellison Conley, the actor? Uh, he was in, he was Tony nominated for The Full Monty. He was just in The Nap last season. He works on television all the time. And he uh, met his wife, funnily enough, doing Don't Quit Your Night Job. And he had been bouncing back and forth from L.A. to New York. And both he and Rossmer and I had been talking to him about this show. And the day before the money was due for Nymph, uh, you know, Rossmer basically, they were talking and David said to him, you know, it it sucks. We're not going to be able to do it, but we're going to try to bring it to other places. And John said, I'll pay for it. And he wrote us a check because he's like, I have... Uh, I really believe in you guys and, and um, I have saved up some money to, for just sort of a thing to invest in artists and things that he had put together. And, you know, it, it was more money than we could certainly afford in, in the grand scheme of things, not the biggest amount, but that sort of beautiful act of faith in us allowed us to do the show. Um, and so I think that the, at that point we had no choice but to do the show because we had already, before the really the first draft was finished, it was in a festival. So we then had a deadline. And I think that that is the greatest motivator of anything for a creative person, is it has to be done, because people are going to be sitting and watching it. So I think that sort of became, at first the idea was a show for him and I to do, and then very shortly thereafter, it became uh, an assignment that we had to finish uh, before before people showed up to see it. <laughs> yeah. Fear is a powerful motivator. No. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's true. The, um, okay. Uh, and I hate to do this, but I'm going to do a little jumping around. Um, sure. Changing gears real quick to Dracula. What? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Were you working on that at the same time? Had this been floating around in your mind uh, almost simultaneously? Uh, you know what? No, Dracula is a fairly recent development. I think Dracula has has come about in a very, very short amount of time. It's been, I think, less than it took less than two years from the kernel of the idea to an actual physical production, um, which in the world of theater is like nothing. Um, that was uh, that was uh, so that that I wrote with Gordon Greenberg. And Gordon has been working at the Maltz Jupiter Theater for years. And I don't know if you've ever seen anything. Have you ever been to Jupiter, Florida? Seen I, something you know at the what? Maltz? I had Andrew Cato on this podcast over a year ago. There you go. So you know. So Andrew yes. Cato is this visionary and is really creating a beautiful environment for people to make new things. It's gorgeous. In a gorgeous part of the country. Mm-hmm. And... I think just because it, they're sort of it, as this expansion is happening, it's it's sort of been creeping like a, like beautiful ivy. It's been creeping up the walls of the theater world, yes. and I I think it's only a matter of time. So we we were lucky enough to be the first show that Andrew ever commissioned. It was his idea. He had um, an idea that he wanted to do sort of a, a something to do around Halloween time, something to do with Dracula. Um, that might be funny and might have some special effects in it. And so, no way. <laughs> yeah. And so Gordon and I had just, you know, and he was talking to Gordon about it, and Gordon and I have had just 
you know, had this successful first year of our Christmas show at the Bucks County Playhouse, where we adapted a Christmas carol for five people in a comedic way, um, but still re- retaining the, the core of the story and trying to retain the, the heart of it and the humor of it um, and with, with sort of a, a newer, more of a, uh, a contemporary take on the humor element. So you, it's the story you know, but with a, a more contemporary uh, flavor in terms of the comedy. And so we sat down, Gordon and I carved out a couple of weeks where we sat down and we were like, okay, what, how would this work, this same idea work for Dracula? And it's a, it was a very different task than doing Christmas Carol, but it wound up being a really great time and uh, audiences had a ball and it, it just was a real playground for these actors, many of whom uh, are based out of South Florida and don't get a lot of opportunity to, you know, be a part of the new, a new work where you're every day you're coming in with rewrites and, you know, honing and defining and, and crafting the show. And, um, so it was, it was a really, really fun experience, but so, but Dracula only came about, you know, fairly recently. Uh, and it's a miracle that it, it got produced so quickly. And, but it, the awesome thing is, is that it got some great attention and, and, uh, you know, our hope is we're going to get to do that in a few other places so we can continue to, to work on it. Yeah. I wish I got to see it. I'm excited to see where it heads after this. Uh, I've heard great things. So I'm just, excited. Oh, that's, I'm so happy to hear that. It, it was it was a real joy, and and uh, really, the Mall Jupiter Theater is a a terrific place that I hope to work again. It's 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 a very artist friendly environment. Everybody there wants to help. It is. It is. It is. Um, okay, moving forward here, are you looking to the future? Are you looking to continue more on the writing side, the performing side? Are you just kind of continuing on this life's journey, seeing it where it takes you? I think, I think option C, I don't know. You know, I, I I never foresaw, you know, as a kid, when you're talking about the, what my theater dreams were, I think the dream was to be an actor. I think that was the initial dream. Um, But I have been having so much fun creating, you know, writing with my friends, Gordon and and David um, that, you know, I would love to figure out a way to just keep doing everything and see what happens next. My hope is that I'm, I'm supposed to do a play in New York, to act in a play in New York in the spring. I'm really hoping that schedules allow that to happen. Um, but I would really love to get back to it for many reasons. One, I love performing. And two, it actually, in some ways, it would be, um, I think, a little, it would be a fun diversion from uh, the writing process just for a second where every decision has to go through you to being acting in something where your prime focus is your performance, you know? Um, so, but I, I love doing both and I, I never want to stop. And I want to try other stuff too. Like what? I don't know. I'd love to direct one day and, and, okay. you know, from doing don't quit your night job, we've, we've produced our stuff before. So, you know, I, it's sort of fun to figure out. I love the theater inside and out. So, why not try all the jobs there are? Maybe I'll be a lighting designer. Who knows? Oh I'm afraid God. of heights. I'm afraid of heights, and I'm I'm a little bit colorblind, so I don't know how well that would go. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but why not? If you're the designer, you don't have to get on the ladder. <laughs> right, right. But I, 
Yeah. yeah. More light there. Yeah. Yes. More light there. Bring it up to 60. Um, when you're writing and you lose focus, how do you get back on track? Uh, that's, a, uh, you know, it, when you're writing with another person, that's the best part because in- invariably one of the two of you will say, okay, enough, let's get back to work. Right. Um, right. but you know, tangential conversation in a writing session, and it's one of the reasons it's so fun to write with another person is you can generate ideas from conversation, you know, observations that you make back and forth, things you have in common can create you know, interchanges within a show can create a comedic situation. So there is a uh, great benefit to shooting the, shooting the shit as it were. Um, but yeah, invariably, invariably someone says, okay, the show opens in, in, in three months and we haven't finished the second act. And then, yeah, as you said, the fear of the fear of an audience creeps in. And so we get back to work. Do you, or are you um, reading any great books right now? Do you have time to read? <laughs> uh, you know, I have not had as much time to read as I would like. Um, I So the two things that I'm reading right now, I, I generally am usually reading one thing that's sort of business related and one thing that's just sort of not either a non either a nonfiction or um, or just a, a book that someone I know has written or, or you know, like just something to, to clear my mind. That might be sort of outside the realm of the stuff that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so, like right now, I'm I'm reading Jack Bertel's book, The Secret Life of the American Musical. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's a show about how Broadway shows are built, and the guy is a genius and has all of this very specific information um, about you know the shows that he's worked on, the shows that he's watched, how shows are constructed. And, you know, the, the sort of the rule is if two very smart people tell you that a book is great, then you should read it. And two friends of mine recommended it. And so, uh, so I'm in it and it is, it's fascinating. And, you know, you find, uh, like, you know, as you've learned from your podcast, I'm sure hearing people talk about the things they're passionate about, you can't help, but also feel that passion and take some of it with you. Uh, and try to, and, and it, you know, comes to your mind when you're in those situations where you hit a, a brick wall or something. That can... uh, and the other book, I, the other book I'm reading is a, a fascinating novel that, um, is just, just became available in the United States, uh, called Girl in White Cotton by Avni Doshi. And it feels like a memoir, but it is fiction. And it's, uh, it's, it's a, just a very personal, uh, account of, a a young Indian woman whose mother is uh, suffering with dementia and, you know, totally outside uh, the, the, the sort of the comedy stuff that I like to, I deal with as a writer, but uh, she has just a phenomenal way with words and uh, very evocative. And, you know, even though I, it is a culture that is totally foreign to me and a relationship that is foreign to me. Uh, I'm, I'm smitten. I'm smitten with the book. I'm going to have to check. I haven't heard of that one. I'm going to have to check that one out. Thank you. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um, are there changes you've made that have increased positivity and decreased negativity in your life? Oh, that is a great question. You know, improvisation, getting into improv as a kid was a sort of the, the best thing that happened to me because it al- allowed my, I guess, attention deficit disorder to be given a more constructive and creative name. 
Um, so, but doing improvisation, the, the, you know, the big key they always say is, you know, say yes. It's about playing through to the positive. And the best way to create a great scene is to come into a situation and not create conflict, but create agreement. And from, from the agreement, conflict can be created. And so I, I think that trying to uh, improvise in my everyday life has forced me to see things through more of a yes and. Um, and also when you're writing with, when you're working with really creative people like David and Gordon, who are, you know, they, they love work and they love to do it and they love getting into it. Um, that passion is contagious. And so I, I think that I, I've caught it from them really. I love that. Um, okay. As we, as we wrap up here, um, metaphorically speaking, is there a word or a phrase that you'd put on a billboard for millions of people to see? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, is there a word or a quote or something that I would put on a billboard for everyone to see? Um, yeah, I think it would be watch the road. Don't don't look at this billboard. Spend time on your own, spend time on your own road. Don't look don't look up here. Um, don't look around and see what everyone else is saying. Find your own inspiration. You know, Josh Cohen has has given us a lot of um, words to live by. We you know that is a of anything that we've written that has a lot of life philosophy in it. And you know, and there, there's just a, a a lyric at the end. I don't mean to like quote ourselves. But it is sort of, we thought of it and we're like, that is a good thing to live by. But the, the line is, everything good comes from doing the kinder thing. Um, which, you know, it is, I think it might be cliche to be like, say, be kind, be grateful. But those are the most important qualities in life, you know. Um, I think we're all, we're all on, in this thing together. Everybody is doing their best to make their way in this world and to make the world hopefully a better place. And I think if we just have patience with each other and try to be good, try to be a good person and try to put that kind of energy into the world, I, I think it's a very long billboard. How big is the billboard? It can be digital. Because, it can change. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it can be a scroll. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, and then, yeah, all the, all the car crashes that would happen underneath this very long billboard. Uh, yeah, be kind. How about that? Be kind. Yeah. Be kind. I, laugh. Don't take yourself seriously, and don't read reviews. <laughs> How about that? Don't read reviews. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's just poison. It's just poison. It's not to take anything away from people that that are critics or that write reviews or make their living doing such a thing. But when you're the person making something, you know, all you, you hearing that kind of cross section, whether it's good or bad, I think poisons your brain. Um, so yeah, so don't read that. Don't read the billboard. Keep doing your own thing and, and listen to your friends. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always thought reviewers, it was just so interesting. It's if you haven't, if you haven't done something, how can you critique it? You know, like don't take advice and hair from a bald person kind of thing, but I don't right. know. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> we could talk about that yeah. for a while. Yeah. But I, you know, like, I, I mean, not to, not to dig too deep in it, but like, I, I understand its importance for, certainly for like how people sell shows as like good reviews. That's, that's how you get positive word of mouth is this person is a critic. They know good from bad. Um, but I know that 
critics are people, you know, yeah. I, I know like, just like performers are. And like, you could see a performer on a night where they have a hangnail and they've got a cold and they stub their toe. And like, they're just, it, the show is not the first thing on their mind, but they're doing their best to get through it. Likewise, a critic could, you know, have eaten bad Thai food. It, they could have, you know, a million things could have gone in that have affected the way that they are seeing the work that they're seeing. And so to pick this performance for both of those, you know, for, for both of those elements, it just seems like rolling dice and, and it doesn't seem like fair. If anything, a critic should be forced to watch five performances in a row so they can sort of get a median performance, a median idea of what the show is. That's how I would solve it. That's a good point. This is also interesting. Wow. Thank you, Stephen, for chatting with me today. Oh, my pleasure, Clay. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored that you, that I, I mean, this is, I hope, I hope this isn't too boring. No. People fell asleep. No. That's the whole point of the podcast. Wake up. You can do it on the go. You can listen to it on the go. Uh, oh, good. So someone might be at the gym listening to this? So quite possibly. Can I take a moment to, encor- I want to encourage that person. You are doing so great right now. Keep it up. Keep it up. <laughs> Don't forget to hydrate and stretch. Oh, my goodness. Oh, thank you for taking this time to chat with me today, Steve. I really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing, man. It's really nice to meet you. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Steve Rosen. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another Curiosity Conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 